All right, let's go ahead and begin with prayer. Dear God, we thank you for your faithfulness from generation to generation, and for this place and time of instruction. We pray that you would bless us and encourage us, and the remembrance of the, the, your deeds of old and the way you have sustained your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin with the scripture passage uh, in Acts 14, 21 through 23. Uh, there, speaking of Paul and Barnabas as uh, they were on their, their journeys, and it says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This speaks of of encouraging the saints, organizing, gathering them together, um, and also organizing them to congregations, appointing elders for them in every church. And this is something that happened in the book of Acts. It's also something that happened in the course of church history. And today we're going to begin a new series on uh, church history, on particularly American church history, and particularly on American Presbyterian church history. Why? Well, because we are an American Presbyterian church. Uh, Certainly church history is broad. There's a lot that one could cover in it, uh, thousands of years, but we're going to look a little more narrowly on uh, the last, oh, what is it, 300 years or so, Um, maybe a little bit more, and uh, eventually see also our place in this story as well. But last year, we looked at the Westminster Confession of Faith, and we did talk a little bit about the history um, that led to that assembly that produced the Confession of Faith and the catechisms, and so I thought in this first lesson, I'd try to take us from that to the founding of the first presbytery in America. And I don't know if we'll be able to get to it all today, especially with our late start, but um, that is what I want to do. Now, the the Westminster Assembly had met in London, and because of the mission it was given by the Solemn League and Covenant, it was trying to uh, produce forms for Uh, worship and church government and doctrine that would unite the churches of the three kingdoms, Scotland, England, and Ireland. Um, What they produced was adopted by the church in Scotland, uh, but it was somewhat, uh, the project was derailed by Oliver Cromwell, who was independent and didn't want to necessarily establish all these things. But then it was derailed even more dramatically by the restoration of the Stuart monarchy in 1660. Um, even, though all, even though Charles II, that Stuart king, had been crowned by a Covenanter Presbyterian, he had sworn uh, to uphold the covenants, but when he became king, uh, he turned on them and instead pursued the course of his father and, and grandfather. In 1662, many Puritans in England and committed Presbyterians in Scotland were ejected from their pulpits. It's estimated about a fourth of English ministers and about a third of Scottish ministers 
uh, were rejected from their pulpits, uh, lost their positions. In Scotland, these ministers refused to renounce the covenants and to seek reappointment by lay patrons, by, by the local nobility, or they weren't able to, to get some, uh, weren't able to get reappointed, uh, especially in the southwest of Scotland where uh, the covenanting spirit was the strongest. Both Charles II and then later James II imposed bishops on both kingdoms. So Presbyterian, the word, comes from the Greek word for elder. Does anyone remember, anyone know what, what Greek word that is? Presbyteros. And uh, that referred to a church government by groups of elders. You have a group of elders, a minister and ruling elders in the local congregation. Then you have elders um, at, at a regional level called a presbytery, and then historically usually had even beyond that a senate, which would include several presbyteries. Um, we're not big enough in our denomination to have one of those yet, but then beyond that to have a general assembly for the whole church, to govern the whole church. But uh, these kings knew that they would have more control over the churches if they were governed by archbishops and bishops um, appointed by the king uh, or by the uh, nobility. And so they uh, made the church dependent on that. No general assembly was held in Scotland from 1652 to 1690. Clergy were to be appointed by lay patrons and bishops. And persecution of the Covenanters in Scotland was especially harsh, harsher than it was in England, although certain dissenters were also persecuted in England as well, like John Bunyan, the, the Baptist, who was imprisoned and wrote Pilgrim's Progress in prison. Well, in Scotland, the Presbyterians were harshly killed. Estimated uh, 18,000 were killed in the 20 or so years of the Covenanting era. But it did fluctuate. Sometimes the king would relent and let issue letters of indulgence uh, to allow uh, ministers to come back to the church um, and to not demand everything uh, from them to do so. So there was a little bit of carrot and stick in trying to get uh, the, the Presbyterians to uh, conform and not be dissenters. Now, this persecution is important because it led some Scots to flee Scotland and go to America, but it also led some Scots to leave Scotland and go to Northern Ireland. Guess which one's closer to Scotland? Northern Ireland is a lot closer. You can actually see it from some parts of Scotland. So a lot of the Scots joined other Scots who had already moved there in Northern Ireland because there was more freedom there. The English actually liked having the Scots there because they preferred having at least Protestants as opposed to the Catholic Irish to help stabilize that region. So they didn't uh, persecute the Presbyterians as harshly there in Northern Ireland. And those Scots who lived in Ireland either became known as Ulster Scots, because that's the region of Ireland they lived in, or Scots-Irish. Um, some of the ministers there had lost their income, but not their pulpits, uh, and were able to continue to minister to the churches there. They did begin to be threatened under James II, who was a king of, uh, of, of Great Britain, but was also a Roman Catholic, and he was beginning to support the Roman Catholics in Ireland, and to disband the Protestant militias, and to increase and recruit Roman Catholics in the army, and that made the Presbyterians quite nervous, especially because 
the Catholic Earl who was made Lord Deputy of Ireland, it was said that he had a purpose to drive all English and Scottish colonists out of Ireland, to destroy Protestantism in the country, and to restore the old faith. Um, And so things were on edge when the Glorious Revolution of 1688 happened. Uh, The English finally decided they had enough of James II because he was Roman Catholic and because he now had an heir and other things. And so they invited William and Mary to come over to be their monarchs instead. It was a bloodless revolution in England, but it was not a bloodless revolution in Ireland. There was a war. King James decided to try to take over by establishing himself in Ireland. The Scots resisted, though, and there was a heroic uh, siege of Derry, or Londonderry, where they held out for 105 days. Um, Finally, King William uh, came and defeated James at the Battle of the Boyne. And with William's victory, you had the Toleration Act in England in 1689, uh, where dissenting ministers could, could get a license uh, to, to preach and be um, free to do so, um, that they would just have to not be heretical um, and uh, be able to, uh, to, to preach and have their congregations, that they would be tolerated. And also Presbyterianism was established in Scotland as, as the state church, that the state church of Scotland uh, was again established on a Presbyterian basis with government by uh, sessions and presbyteries and synods and general assembly. Um, Also, peace was established in Ireland, and more Scots came over to Ireland just because of the good economy then, that land was available after the war, and there was long leases, and uh, Presbyterian immigration to the colonies slowed down until 1717. So that's the European background. Well, we do want to talk about America, though. All this turmoil, though, in, in the British Isles will cause people to leave, to seek better opportunities in America. There was a variety of nationalities of Presbyterians in America. Even though the Westminster Assembly did not succeed in making Presbyterianism the church of, of all three kingdoms, and only got one kingdom, got Scotland, it didn't get England or Ireland um, as, as the state church, But what it did do is that it created forms and documents that could be used then so that when English Presbyterians and Irish Presbyterians and Scottish Presbyterians and French Huguenots and others came to America, they already had these documents sorted out. They already could agree, like, yes, we agree with these documents. We can gather together as one church. So in America, there were, first of all, English Presbyterian Puritans. Uh, the wave of immigration that had come early on to New England, there were about 20,000 Puritans who came before 1640, and out of those 20,000, about 4,000 were said to be of Presbyterian conviction. They were a minority, uh, but they were found a, a, a home there in New England. Uh, some of them merged with the Congregationalist churches. Some of the Congregationalist churches there um, moved more and more towards a quasi-Presbyterian system, especially the ministers realized, actually, we kind of do need a system of government that's broader than just the local church. Maybe we were a little too radical when we started things out. Um, when, the, when Connecticut was established, they moved further towards a Presbyterian form of church government, and some went even further south into New York and established Presbyterian churches there. 
Uh, one of them was named Richard Denton, and he moved to Long Island. And two of his sons helped found a Presbyterian church in Jamaica. Not Jamaica, the island. Jamaica, a place in New York, what's now New York City, in Queens. That was 1662. Um, and we'll come back to that church in a little bit. But not only English Presbyterians, Puritans, but you also had uh, people from Scotland uh, who came over, uh, and Scotch-Irish, the people from Northern Ireland. They came throughout the colonies, but especially those middle colonies where there was not an established church, or at least uh, a weaker established church, um, especially Pennsylvania and New Jersey, which had been established by Quakers uh, who allowed for much broader religious freedom. Now, many of the Scots-Irish would come after 1717, uh, but there were some who had come earlier. Also, there were French Protestants, French Calvinists called Huguenots. Can you say Huguenot? Huguenot. Huguenots had uh, been in France for many years and were tolerated there. A large minority of the French were, were Calvinist pr Protestants, uh, Presbyterians, you know, essentially. But in 1685, uh, the king revoked the Edict of Nantes that had given them toleration and had begun to persecute them. So many Huguenots left. Some of them went to Northern Ireland and merged with the Scots-Irish, but a lot of them came to the British colonies, uh, to the Carolinas, or to New England, or to the Middle Colonies. And some of them joined the Anglican Church, but some of them joined the Presbyterian Church. You also had the Dutch in New York, who were very similar to Presbyterians, except that they were Dutch. Um, they usually had their own churches, but sometimes you'd have individual Dutch people who, if they lived in a Presbyterian community, would, would join the Presbyterian Church. Um, and so you had, had several streams that would all merge together in the American Presbyterian Church. You know, the Baptists stuck to themselves. They didn't join Presbyterian churches, but they did use a modified version of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, and so we're often very like-minded. You can maybe use even the Shorter Catechism, uh, have the Philadelphia Confession of Faith, which was, was very similar uh, to the Westminster, just modifying a number of more Baptist uh, doctrines, distinctives. Um, any questions about this very broad overview of coming to America? I want to get to a particular story of a particular person, because sometimes it's helpful to have not just big, broad overviews, but to actually talk about an individual. And this individual is named Francis McKemmy. Francis McKemmy. <clears throat> Francis McKemmy was born in County Donegal, Ireland, in the reign of Cromwell in 15, sorry, 1658. Uh, he describes himself as being converted at age 15 due to the influence of a godly schoolmaster, and then went to Glasgow University as a, as a teenager. Uh, older teenager, learned uh, there in Scotland in the days of the Covenanters, uh, tumultuous days, but in a region in which there was strong Presbyterian established uh, roots. Then he returned to Northern Ireland and was ordained in 1682 around the age of 24. And 
While Northern Ireland had been rather peaceful, when he was ordained was a particular spike in persecution in Northern Ireland. Uh, not necessarily being put to death, but imprisoned, being, being harshly treated. In fact, of the presbytery that ordained him, just the year before he was ordained, five ministers had been arrested and fined uh, for gathering together for a fast that they had appointed. So uh, it was under harsh conditions. But they had letters and people saying that we need ministers in the new world. We've had these Scots and Scots-Irish move to Maryland and Virginia, and they need a minister. Could you please send one over? And so Francis McKemmy went over in 1683. At that time, Maryland did not have an established church. It was initially set up to allow for Roman Catholics uh, to have toleration there, but it also worked for Presbyterians too, initially. And so Francis McKemmy got to work organizing churches, like we saw Paul and Barnabas talk about earlier in Acts, getting people together, elders being appointed, um, and, and the people organized into congregations, and he did that for several churches on the eastern shore of Maryland. So it's that, that part that hangs down on the other side of the Chesapeake Bay. If you look on a map, it, it's a little easier to, to understand, but it's uh, the part where you have Maryland, and then south of it you have Virginia, and then you have the ocean. Uh, and yes? It's called Delmarva Peninsula. Delmarva Peninsula. It's on the east side of the Chesapeake Bay. Yes. The north part is Delaware, the middle is Maryland, and the southern part is Virginia. It's probably better to say the eastern shore of the Chesapeake rather than eastern shore of Maryland, because all of it's to the east of Maryland. But um, yes, yeah, so that region is where he begins. And uh, works to establish churches. He's preaching. Uh, he gets married. Uh, he also does some work as a merchant in, in trade and actually uses whatever finances he raises and also some of his, his wife family has some money and they use those to help plant the churches too and help fund uh, the new churches. And he also goes to Barbados. Now, do you know where Barbados is? Barbados is one of the southernmost Caribbean islands, almost on the coast of South America. But there were Scots-Irish who had gone there too. Um, and that was a British colony. And so he ministered for several years in Barbados. And he actually wrote a booklet that I read um, pleading to the established church, the Church of England in Barbados, hey, we're not crazy guys. Don't treat the Presbyterians like weirdos. We're actually very similar to you. We just differ here and there with some of these external ceremonies and church government, and I'll explain those. But, you know, we really can make a common cause um, and, and promote the gospel here in Barbados. Um, back in the uh, other colonies, Maryland and Virginia, he also came into conflict with Quakers, and he was not so... Uh, like-minded with the Quakers and, and uh, engaged in debate uh, with, with their doctrine or lack of and their objection to a catechism he had written. Um, and uh, it's kind of the world that he lived in for a while. He was friend with the Mathers in Boston and sought also to get ministers for the churches he was planting. So he sought ministers from England. He sought ministers from New England you know, we need to get others to come and fill these pulpits and to preach the word because it's important for people to have the ministry of the word and to have uh, worship on the Lord's day and to not be lost like sheep without a shepherd. And so he worked tirelessly and traveled a lot. Uh, one of those trips, he ran into trouble. See, there was a new governor in town in New York. 
This man was named Lord Cornbury. Can you say boo or something like that? <laughs> Lord Cornbury. And he was one who wanted to establish the Church of England firmly in New York, which is going to be difficult because there are a lot of Dutch there already and Presbyterians from New England. And he had found that the Presbyterians had a church building that had been funded with tax money. Because initially it was kind of for the Presbyterians, Anglicans, Dutch Reformed altogether, and then the, the other groups formed their own churches. The Presbyterians were the largest. They still had the building. And he was like, what are these Presbyterians doing with this tax-supported church building? And he, he locked the minister out. He took the buildings away from them. It was that church in Jamaica that I had talked about earlier. Um, I guess a few years later, they were able to take it to court. They got their building back. Many years later, that's actually the, the church where Trump attended when he was a boy and, and was confirmed. That's obviously history much later. But it's a, a church survived uh, those early years and the persecution under Lord Cornbury. But you could see that he had his eye out for those Presbyterians. And when Francis McKemmy came into town, uh, he preached in a private house, and then he was arrested for it because he had preached without getting a license from the governor of New York. And so he was put into prison along with a friend of his who had preached in a different church in town. And so he was imprisoned for, for weeks, and then he was brought to trial. And at his trial, he produced the license. He had obtained a license, just not from New York. Uh, he had a license to preach in Barbados. I think he got another one in Virginia that had established his home as a preaching place. Um, and he a- appealed to the Toleration Act, that I have the rights of all Englishmen, that this is an English colony. The English have said in, in England that we have this, this right to be tolerated. You can't make up your own rules here in New York to deprive us of these rights. And he argued his case, along with, I think, other legal counsel, The governor described him as a jack-of-all-trades. He is a preacher, a doctor physic, a merchant, an attorney, or counselor at law, and what is worst of all, a disturber of governments. Now, McKemmy would dispute the last one. He would say, I'm not doing anything that would disturb your government. He printed his sermon. It was a sermon on ordering your way rightly uh, from the verse in Psalm 50, to the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. He talks about the salvation of God and ordering your way rightly, a godly conversation. Um, But because he didn't get a license, and he says, I would even preach if I didn't have a license, but I am law-abiding, and I'm in accord even with the doctrinal parts of the 39 articles, the Church of England, and he won his case. And it was an important case ensuring that toleration would be extended to the colonies. And all the dissenters, whether they're Presbyterians or Baptists or independents, uh, appreciated his stand. And uh, it also increased the respect they had for Presbyterians. He did get loaded up with all the legal fees, though. So he did suffer in that case. The next year, um, and that was in 17... The year before that, Francis McKemmy had organized the first presbytery in America. There had been Presbyterian churches, but they hadn't been connected with other churches yet. And so this is really where they began to be Presbyterian in having a regional presbytery. Uh, Seven ministers attended. Most of them were Scottish or Scotch-Irish, but one was from Massachusetts, a graduate of Harvard under Increase Mather. Uh, but who was also Presbyterian. 
Uh, we don't ha I don't think we have the minutes from that, or at least we don't have complete minutes from that meeting, but we do have him writing in a letter afterwards about the meeting. He said, our design is to meet yearly and oftener, if necessary, to consult the most proper measures for advancing the religion and propagating for advancing religion and propagating Christianity in our various stations, and to maintain such a correspondence as may conduce to the improvement of our ministerial ability by prescribing texts to be preached on by two of our number at every meeting, which performance is subjected to the censure of our brethren. Uh, so they want to coordinate their efforts for the spread of Christianity, but they also wanted to uh, do what Presbyterians had often been doing at their Presbyterian meetings, where a couple of them would preach, and then they'd get feedback from the rest. Uh, these Presbyterial exercises uh, would help them to grow and, and edify one another. The next Presbyterian meeting including rule, included ruling elders as well, and after that it would become established that all ministers were expected to come, and, and each church to send a ruling elder. And then in 1716, a senate was formed with four Presbyteries. And that was right when the great migration of the Scots-Irish would begin to hit. And we'll probably uh, get into that more so in next lesson, because uh, I know it's time for us to, to get ready for worship. Uh, but a lot of effort, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears uh, to establish churches. But it's something that's still important for us today, uh, to be able to, to organize, to put things in order for the edification of the saints and the gathering of the saints. Uh, and so let's be diligent about that today as well. Let's close in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for your uh, grace towards us and for your uh, work in generations past to establish uh, your church that we might have things that we easily take for granted now. We pray that you would bless uh, this worship this day and this congregation of your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.